You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now, we have our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri. How are you doing, Al? I'm great, everybody. How are you? I'm great. Obviously, wishing everyone, uh, you know, hope everyone had a nice Easter or is enjoying a nice Passover or, you know, is enduring a peaceful Ramadan, all, all these things. You know, it's, it's a, you know, anything that we could do to add into the fact that we're also now 10 games into baseball season, 11, 12, whatever we are. It might not feel like spring outside exactly. It might not feel summerish uh, or anything of that. But obviously, that still doesn't stop the baseball from being played. And, you know, it's it's been interesting, certainly. It's been fun. It's been some days better than others. But it is baseball. And it's a long season. And we're just beginning. Absolutely. Certainly have been, as you said, some ups and downs. I just got back from a couple days in Baltimore. Didn't see the best game on Sunday, but at the same time, you know, just nice to be out in the ballpark, whether it's Yankee Stadium, whether it's opening day here, whether it's seeing the team on the road and competing and seeing some real live crowds both here and and, uh, in Baltimore, where there were quite a few Yankees fans. And that was nice to see as well. As usual. So in this week's episode, we are going to discuss two more stories from our April issue. We're going to chat about the cover story, Al, which you wrote about Josh Donaldson that I can't wait for everyone to read. It is going online today. And then for our second segment, we're going to talk about my feature on Yankees prospect Austin Wells. But before we get there, you know, Al, you mentioned you were there on Sunday. Result wasn't terrific, but Nestor sure was. He was amazing. You know, seeing him out there competing the way he did and and just striking out, it seemed like, you know, two batters an inning pretty much. Uh, Obviously, three in one inning on nine pitches, which was really special to see and something I had not seen in person to this point in my career. Just really dominant. I mean, he dominated a lot of teams last year, and it looks like he's doing that again. I know Aaron Boone talked about him being an all potentially being an all star. He sure as heck looked like it on Sunday. Well, I thought one thing that was interesting is even before that start on Sunday, I think it was on Thursday when, or maybe Wednesday when Boone was asked about, you know, Nestor. And one of the things he said is that, you know, a lot of people like to talk about Nestor as a novelty because he is weird. He is funky on the mound. Every windup is different. Every pace is different. Every arm angle is different. And that's true. But the point he was making is, no, this guy's an excellent athlete and an excellent pitcher. And he, you know, to use the term that, Boone always looks to use like he really shoves and you saw that in that game on Sunday it wasn't just you know playing around or getting on the margins or getting soft contact I mean when you get an immaculate inning you know three strikes three straight batters it's not because you're being cute it's because you're doing something that has them off balance and whether it's an all-star or whether it's just enjoying a good season I think it is time that we uh Maybe maybe show Nestor some more respect than finding him to be charming and fun and funky yeah, he, he really had that dominant pitch on Sunday, you know, besides, you know, the way that he fools batters and all that stuff when he wanted to to get, you know, from strike two to strike three, he's blowing the ball past guys. And I agree with your point. Exactly. You know, thinking about 
different ways to to cover him, you know, in the future. I was thinking about it on the ride home yesterday. And he's just somebody that you're right, it's not a novelty anymore. He's a dominant pitcher. He's a really great pitcher. And he gives the Yankees a really good chance to to accomplish quite a bit this year. You know, obviously when you think about pitchers on this staff, you're talking about Garrett Cole, you're talking about Luis Severino, Jameson Tyone. He's right in the thick of it. <laughs> and you can't deny that. I mean, you know, last year we weren't sure because it was, you know, it was kind of his his awakening, so to speak. But, you know, that's that's done. Now it's now it's happening again and it's real. You mentioned last year, and that, that is one of the other things that I wanted to get to before we get to our, our Donaldson feature, because we're recording this on Tuesday. The team is five and five. But that's a five and five that includes a series win over the Red Sox, a series split with the Blue Jays. And obviously, look, they they lost two of three to the Orioles. That's not good. You don't want to do that. But I keep getting taken aback a little bit. And I think this is just partly the nature of baseball in New York, partly the nature of Yankees fans, maybe partly the nature of baseball fans. But I don't think that the reactions that you're hearing right now are to a five and five baseball team. I think the reactions that you're hearing right now are to last year's frustrations and the things that didn't go right last year. And I do wonder if it is it all of April? Is it April and part of May? When does it become that you start seeing actual people responding to what is happening to this year's Yankees team? Because the reality is in those first 10 games, call me an apologist, call me what you want. Yes, the offense hasn't been what you would hope for yet, but the pitching has been amazing. And and there are signs of life. Aaron Hicks has looked really, really good at the plate. DJ LeMahieu has looked like the MVP candidate at the plate. You know Aaron Judge is going to be fine. You know Giancarlo Stanton is going to be fine. There's every reason to think that if Joey Gallo keeps hitting every ball hard, eventually they're going to start landing in the seats or even just finding grass. So again, I'm the deputy editor of the New York Yankees. You don't have to trust a word I say. If you're listening to this, maybe you, you do, whatever. I, I, I just can't help but feel like if you go to Twitter right now, the team started out 2-0, and you thought they won the World Series. The team then, you know, loses a game and the sky is falling. I, I don't think this is reaction to the 2022 Yankees. I think this is reaction to the 2021 Yankees. Yeah, it might be. You know, I've kind of always had the same approach and probably talked about it on this podcast at different times and, and at different years during the month of April. The Yankees have only played so such a, a, a small number of games. It's such a small sample size. If they had a streak where you know they went five and five or whatever, you know even four and six or something like that in the middle of August or the middle of September or the middle of July, it wouldn't be a big deal. the The problem here is, to your point, there's nothing to go on. You know, it's just this. But when you're talking about a sample size that's that small, also to sound like I have too much of a bias, but it doesn't really mean much to me. It just doesn't. It, it's the roster that means a lot. If this team was riddled with injuries, that would be a concern. You know, having a stretch where they're mediocre, they're playing mediocre baseball right now. Five and five. That's the definition of mediocre. That's the definition of mediocre. But with such a small sample size, not 55 and 55, just five and five. It's one of those things that, you know, we're, we're paid to write interesting, unique stories about the Yankees and talk about the Yankees and, and have a, you know, a, a positive approach. I mean, that's just being candid. You know, people on talk radio or in the newspapers or whatever are, are there to uh, sensationalize them when they're winning and losing. And in this case, when they're winning and losing. And I think that's a great segue to what we want to talk about, which is Josh Donaldson, because I, I always push back a little bit on this idea that, you know, our job is to put 
rose-colored glasses on and, and pretend that something is that isn't, for example. And so, look, are we going to sit here now on the Yankees Magazine podcast and say his first 10 games with the Yankees, Josh Donaldson is the MVP? We're not going to say that. I mean, that, that's ridiculous. What we can say, and what I think you did such a great job of in your story, is showing why this team believes in Josh Donaldson and why Josh Donaldson has a huge role to play on this team. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, like a lot of Yankees acquisitions, whether you go all the way back to Tina Martinez and Jason Giambi and Alex Rodriguez, guys who came in with really good track records uh, of success, they didn't all or any of them start off really that well in, in the Bronx, you know, with the Yankees. And Josh Donaldson's kind of going down that same road. Uh, 10, days, 10 days in, again, not, not to disagree with you, but yeah. 10 days in. 10 days in, or in other words, another term for 10 days in baseball, a meaningless number of days, <laughs> you know, a meaningless, who cares, number of days, a tiny sample size. But yeah, he's had some success and he's had some struggles. That's part of it. I think what really matters is, again, track record. And he was really good last year. He was really good the year before that, even during the, you know, the, the shortened season in 2020. We gave the Minnesota Twins was really a, a great body of work. And certainly what he did, you know, with some of the teams prior to that, Atlanta and Toronto, and I'm probably missing a couple because I know he's been on a lot of teams in the last couple of years. But what he's given is consistently good play every single year. And at times, you know, he's been one of the more powerful hitters in the game. And that's not going back 10 years. That's that's right here. That's right in the rearview mirror. So that it, it's hard not to think that that's going to happen again. And the Yankees were really, really excited about, you know, about bringing him in and, and not just about bringing him in, but bringing the package of players in that they got in that trade. Obviously, he was at the top of it, but I don't see why he wouldn't turn into what he was last year or the year before or any of the years in the last half decade. The reality is he's an MVP and you don't win an MVP by accident. Obviously, there's a lot of things that go into Josh Donaldson's game. Certainly, he's looked good at third base. He has been a, a guy who clearly has a big role to play with his bat on this team and, and a bat that you expect again. In the same way, we're not going to kill Aaron Judge for not ripping the cover off the ball in the first week and a half of the season or that, you know, we're not going to freak out too much about any of these things. We got to give the same benefit of the doubt to Josh Donaldson because it's early. But and this is something that I know is a hobby horse of mine, whether on this podcast or in stories that I write. One thing that I have found very funny is, you know, that there is going to come a game sometime soon when Josh Donaldson is going to hit two home runs. Maybe one of them is a walk off and people are going to act like Josh Donaldson earned his pinstripes tonight. Finally at that moment. And I'm going to go back much as I deal with Giancarlo Stanton, who hit two home runs in his first game with the Yankees and then heard forever how he had never done anything with the Yankees. I will go back to in Josh Donaldson's first game with the Yankees, he hit an extra inning walk-off single. That was a pretty great moment. It was. And you know, it's even more, you know, it's so special about that is, is that the Yankees opened at home. Um, and, you know, I, I just, you know, got done, you know, kind of talking and, and writing about opening day and how special opening day is. Opening day is such a time-honored tradition, and it's almost like a postseason game. You do something special on opening day in Yankee Stadium, whether it's this stadium, whether it's the old stadium, that's a legacy building thing. And it's something that, you know, in many ways, you do earn your pinstripes that day and that afternoon. And he did something really special that day. And, and he knew it was special because I don't know that I've ever seen somebody so happy, you know, 
know, after a, a during a walk off celebration and, and so excited and he knew it and he recognized it. And I think that part of that has to do with his kind of interest and understanding of Yankees history. And in the story, I certainly talked about his love of Mickey Mantle, which he brought up to me. I, I had never read that before or knew that. And, and you know what, it, similar to Giancarlo Stanton, there might be a little bit of a lull and then we get into May and it gets a little warmer and there you go. He's up in the bottom of the ninth and we're losing by a couple runs and he hits a home run and it's like, well, there's his moment. What about opening day? That, that didn't mean much because it sure as heck seemed like it did to everybody leaving the ballpark that day. Al, you do a lot of talking in the story about some of the paradox maybe about Josh Donaldson in the sense that he has this reputation of really bringing an edge to these clubhouses and being a great clubhouse leader. And yet you also had him trying to, you know, do the math on his fingers, to try to remember how many teams he's played for in the last five years. And you surprised him when you pointed out that this is his fifth team in five years. You know, maybe those two things don't necessarily go so well together, but in the time you spent around him in spring and the time that I spent around him in spring, just watching, honestly, even as silly as this might sound, listening to him on uh, CC Sabathia's podcast and just listening to the way he talks about his role it, it, it's clear what this guy considers his job in baseball to be right now as, as much as anything else what he does with the bat but you know to be a real leader on this team in your speaking to him how did that come across to you I'll say this I, I had never met him before I'd never talked to him before <laughs> the day that I did the interview with him and what was funny about it for me was, you know, you've been down this road a hundred times, more than a hundred times <laughs> where, you know, you approach a player in spring training and, you know, your first kind of approach is to see when they have time to do the interview. I explained to him what I was doing and normally the, you know, the response is, okay, let's set up a time and, you know, we do it the next day or two days later or whatever it may be. You know, the first question from the player is, when are you going back to New York? So they know how much time, you know, how, how big the window of time is to do the interview. And he was like, so taken aback that he was going to be on the cover of Yankees magazine. And I don't know if that's what precipitated this, but he just grabbed a chair, basically, you know, pushed a player out of the way who was, who was kind of, not sure if he was going to sit in the chair or go somewhere else and just put it in front of him. And clearly that was a sign for me to sit down and sat down and, and spend quite a bit of time with him that morning. And just having that team spirit was exciting for me to hear. Um, the Mickey Mantle story he told me within the first five minutes of our interview to answer your question, which I kind of circled around here a little bit, but you know, he, he does value his role as a leader on this team. And he knew coming to this team that this opportunity gave him a chance to do the one thing he feels like he hasn't ever done, which is win a world championship. And he's very, very mindful of the fact that this isn't tennis or boxing or running or something like that. It takes everybody on the roster to get him where he needs to go and, and, and where he needs to go or where he wants to go, which is, you know, to the, to the stage that they put up on the infield where he hoists a, a world series trophy. And he, he certainly doesn't take that lightly. And he did talk about it. That part of the conversation kind of came out when I asked him about his old nemesis, which I wrote about Garrett Cole. And obviously they had some, you know, words and disagreements and whatever, like a lot of people in this world do. You know, most people, I, I, I think, probably have have those feelings about me when I talk. So I, I get it. But anyway, he he really embraced the opportunity to be Garrett Cole's teammate. And he talked about not only had they kind of mended fences in a in a meeting and all that stuff, and it seems since I wrote the story, their relationship has gotten even stronger where they're, where they're now talking about being boys and friends and their families and all that stuff are, are, 
are really liking each other. But, you know, he talked about like, God, I would never get this would never be an issue because he just represents such a valuable thing to a team. And that really impressed me. You know, he talked about how he'd never been on a team where there was a guy who you just kind of relied on to go out and win every time he's out there and give you eight or nine innings. And he's like, that's the part that meant the most. The relationship will take take care of itself, but that's what meant the most. And to me, that was just such a team-oriented statement. But I, it's weird because on the one hand, you know, you like to hear that and you're glad to hear that. On the other hand, isn't that so obvious, though? Because this is the funny thing. Look, you and I, we've worked in offices our entire life. Granted, our office might be in a stadium, but it's in an office. When someone bothers us, when we don't like someone that we are working with or working against, it's because of personality traits that aren't necessarily going to get better. When you're a baseball player, when you're a competitor like that, the guy you don't like the most the reasons that you don't like him are probably the same things that would make him a great teammate if you were ever his teammate. Yeah. So what did Josh Donaldson have against Garrett Cole other than Garrett Cole kind of having his number and, and Josh Donaldson not being able to figure him out, everything like that. So you have these two kind of firing off against each other. And of course, that becomes a little thing in the media. Like, will they be able to, be able to handle each other? And and to me, it was always just like, oh, no, these two guys want the exact same thing. They're going to get along great. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's, again, we talk about, you know, things being sensationalized and, and, and things like that. And, and that's probably a lot of what it was. You know, I just, funny, John, I, I just recently watched this great Don Mattingly, Donnie Baseball documentary. And I won't tell you how many times I've watched it because you'll think I'm a little obsessed, but it, it's quite a few times, you know, was certainly intrigued by so many parts of it. But one in particular was when Wade Boggs was signed here. And um, a couple of people were in the documentary talking about like, oh, my God, how is Wade Boggs going to get along with Don Mattingly? That's never going to work. That's never going to work. And they didn't even have issues before. But there was this perceived notion that because one played for the Red Sox, one played for the Yankees, that when they were you know, and they were both great players, a lot of times vying for MVP trophies and batting titles and all that, that when they were on the same team, they were not going to like each other. And I, and, you know, and then of course that wasn't the truth. It was the furthest thing from the truth. And people were actually surprised by that. Well, that doesn't make any sense to be surprised by it, nor does it make sense for, you know, in this case, two really, really competitive guys who seemed to be the focal point of every game in which they matched up against each other to then be on the same team, wanting the same thing and still disliking each other. It doesn't make any sense. Yan- Yankees fans fell in love with Roger Clemens. Okay. I mean, I- I- here's, here's a promise that we can never prove, but that I'm right about. If in 2005, Pedro Martinez signs with the Yankees instead of the Mets, Pedro Martinez would have been beloved in the Bronx. It's just, it's the reality of it. You want that guy that you hate because all he wants to do is crush you and beat you. That is the guy you want on your team. (laughs) It's just the reality. The the players that you hate the most, as long as you hate them for not some slur or something like that, the players that you hate competitively, you want them on your team. And that, and adds, I think that comes across really clearly, both in the things we've heard from Donaldson since, but definitely in your story. Al, it's a great piece. It's called Rolling Thunder. It is online today. I'm glad everyone gets a chance to read it. Obviously, you can also read it by picking up Yankees Magazine, whether at the stadium or by calling 800-GO-YANKS or visiting yankees.com slash publications. That's a fun little uh, sales pitch I'm doing right now, but that does not mean we are done with this episode because we are actually going to come back and we are going to discuss my piece on Austin Wells. So stick with us. Hi, this is Jordan Montgomery. You're listening to Yankees Magazine Podcast. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, this is Aaron Judge. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast, Al. That was a fun conversation about Josh Donaldson. Obviously, as we've said, Donaldson is a guy who we've gotten to see in his first week and a half, two weeks with the Yankees. Obviously, we're looking forward to, I would say, the real Josh Donaldson bat showing up and exploding and and, and things like that. But, But it's been fun so far. Here's a guy that we haven't seen at all yet. And this is a funny little note to put on here. I wrote some 3,000 words about him, and I have never seen him play a game um, because when I went out to spend some time with him at the Arizona Fall League, he was injured, but uh, he gave us an amazing amount of time. His name is Austin Wells. He was a first-round pick for the Yankees during the pandemic-shortened 2020 draft, and one thing that became clear to me, one thing that everyone who has ever met him said to me, and one thing that I hope is very clear to him when reading the story is... It's a long way off before we can project what a high A player is going to do in the major leagues, but Austin Wells is special, and, and there's a lot of special stuff that we're going to see from him. John, I, I know you've done a couple stories in the Arizona Fall League, uh, which I you know continue to be envious about, and, and those experiences you come back with and describe are just so special. Before we really get into you know, the player, the subject of the story. Um, and I know he was hurt and you, you talked about that then. And I remember the call when, when you told me he was hurt and you, you know, we're a little worried about being out there, <laughs> but, um, you know, just if you could, cause, cause you describe it well in the story, um, just kind of take us through, if you would, the atmosphere there out there during the Arizona fall league, make me even more jealous than, uh, than I am right now. Well, it's Thunderdome. Uh, there are no rules. There is no organization. I mean, I, I, I laugh. I've, Major League Baseball does an amazing job putting this league on. So each team basically sends, you know, somewhere between five and seven prospects that they want to get some extra reps in at the end of the season to the fall league. Uh, there are six teams. So each team has five Major League Baseball teams that feed into it. So this year, the Yankees players were fed to the uh, surprise Squaros. And it's just the best it's some of the best baseball to watch because it's raw prospects so there's a lot of errors there's a lot of other weird stuff but these are top prospects who you know, want to put on a show and there's a lot of scouts there there are not a ton of fans there it's in Arizona in the middle of the days in November so you don't have the environment say of the Cactus League but it is just some of the most fun baseball to watch but I will tell you as far as covering top prospects when I say it's Thunderdome, I literally mean that if I wanted to coach first base, I'm not sure that anyone would stop me. It, it is you, you. I can be sitting there interviewing a player while he is throwing before the game, like behind second base. And I, I, I some of these interviews were done in the bullpen. Some of these were done along the left field foul line. Others were done in the dugout. It, it just, it is, it, it's, 
you can get anything done there. And the players, because they're prospects and because there's not that much of an infrastructure there, they're pretty happy to talk because they're not being overwhelmed. And, you know, why are you there? Well, you're, you're not there to rip apart this prospect in the Arizona Fall League. So uh, it, it's a ton of fun. I will tell you this year, because when we got out there, Wells was hurt. My photographer and I, Barry Schneiderman, we actually had to extend our trip one day because even though he wasn't going to play that last day, at least he was going to take BP that day. And so we were going to be able to get some photos of him. But Austin could not have been more accommodating. He did the photo shoots. He sat with us. He put on all of his equipment, even though he wasn't catching that day. He really let us you know, get the full stuff there, gave us all the time in the world. And it, it was great. It's the Arizona Fall. It's great every single year. And I, I haven't gone every single year, but every year I'm not there. I wish I was there. In the story, you talked a lot about his background, obviously a University of Arizona uh, guy that's near and dear to me and my whole family lives in Tucson and many of my, my cousins graduated from there. And, you know, there's a lot of great quotes from his coach there at the U of A, just talking about the type of family background he came from and what made him special, what he realized was special about Austin, even before he went, uh, went there or decided to go there. How impressive was kind of his background and his demeanor and what people were saying about him. How much did that impress you? There are certain guys who certain times that I write a story when I speak to the player first and I get a sense of the player first. And then I kind of call around to color in the margins a little bit. And in this case, both because he wasn't playing when I was out there. And so I knew I needed to go a bit deeper for the story. And also just because at best, even if he had played all three days that I was there, those I, I knew I needed more. So in calling around, the impression I was getting was, yeah, really good baseball player, obviously, but just super, super special person. And there there are a couple times, obviously, that I've gotten that. I mean, I I don't want to say that that never happens, but this was just like every single person – kind of almost telling the same stories. And and I and I reference this a couple times in there, not to sound repetitive, but because there's truth there. And and one of them in particular was I got this from a bunch of Yankees coaches, but I also got this from his high school coach basically saying, "Yeah, you know, we would have to talk to him like a peer because he would give us feedback that was better than the idea we had. So it wasn't about him being obstinate or it wasn't about him being disobedient or obnoxious. When he would push back, it was respectful, but he would say, no, let's do it this way. And then you would listen to it and be like, oh yeah, actually that makes more sense. Let's do it that way. And maybe you can understand if Yankees pitching coach Matt Blake has Garrett Cole change his mind about something, but you don't usually expect a high school coach to let his player do that with him. Yeah, and, and so to hear that from his high school coach Gino Demaria, and then to hear it from you know Yankees hitting coaches and things like that, when you're hearing the same story, you're like, well, this is probably true. The, the, you know, this is probably accurate if we're hearing the same stuff. That's a revealing anecdote, to say the least. And really, for a, a player who plays catcher, you know, a position that requires you know such a strong mental game, let's say, I think that that speaks even you know even more about him than, than anything. What do you look at his trajectory being? Obviously he's had some success in the minors. What do you, what do you, where do you feel he's at in terms of when he moves up to AAA and kind of where things are going to go from here? Obviously I'm not asking you to, to, to play scout here, but just kind of from what you've heard and seen and, and how, how he's progressed to this point. So here's the thing, even if I wanted to play a scout, I mean, the reality still is that I've never seen the guy play. Um, so I'd be a bad scout. But 
this is a slightly longer answer, maybe. Here's what I'll say. I think it becomes very easy sometimes for the narrative of a player's ability to take hold. So because Austin Wells has a very good bat, which is probably further along than his catching skills, it's very easy to say that he projects, you know, as a first baseman or just somewhere else on the diamond. And to be candid, the Yankees, you know, they're trying him out in a lot of different ways. And frankly, Austin Wells' bat is going to be what gets him to the majors at some point. It's not going to be his defense necessarily. But the thing that I will keep going back to is take this with a grain of salt, take it for what it's worth. Everyone I've spoken to from an actual, you know, development perspective says that he has shown nothing to show that he can't catch. Now, is that a glowing, you know, this guy is going to become a major leaguer because he is, you know, just an elite defensive catcher? No, that's not what they're saying. What they're saying is that at the high A level, which is where he is right now, they have seen him do everything they've asked of him, and they don't have reason to believe that he can't make it as a catcher. I can tell you he wants to make it as a catcher. I can tell you he loves catching. He loves being involved in every pitch. But he's also the type of guy who wants to be on the field every game. There was a great anecdote that I got from the Yankees scouting director, Damon Oppenheimer, who noticed when he was on the Cape at the Cape Cod League, those days off are you know, precious to them. They love when they're not in the game that day because they basically, you know, great. I just have a nice summer day. I don't have to do anything. Whereas he played just about every single day on the Cape and he, he played really well. But the thing that they noticed about him and the thing that had sold the Cape Cod League coaches, Scott Pickler, on him was the the scouting report from Jay Johnson from Arizona, who said this guy's going to want to play every day. And then, sure enough, you know, a catcher at the Cape Cod League playing forty two games, it was it was remarkable. So, look, he is at best two years away from the majors. I mean, it's 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 always a weird thing when we're talking about this. He's in high A right now, mm-hmm. okay. So maybe by the end of this year, maybe you know he gets a couple of bats in Triple A, maybe. Probably not. Probably he's going to max out at double A this year if he gets there. And if he doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean anything either because he's still really young. But, you know, we're, we're a couple of years away from seeing him. But at this level, what you want people to be saying is that they see major league ability and they see major league development. And that is what they're saying right now. And that's all you can hope for. So we'll see what happens. And the last, you know, thing I, I wanted to ask you, sorry, John, to take the attention away from the, the great uh, writing in this story, but, you know, some really great photos that Barry took. And it's just so neat to see a player in a Yankees uniform in some of these, I don't call them old school, but small ballparks in Arizona, you know, during the fall league. If you can kind of talk about that and, and what also is really neat and really kind of special to see is just the way that those photos kind of follow this great opening spread photo, which of course is at, you know, the giant uh, George M. Steinbrenner Fields facility. It's not on field one, but kind of on this backfield, which is one of my favorite places at our spring training facility with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers stadium in the background. And it's just a great visual, fun, kind of refreshing my memory about the story, going back and looking at, at kind of flipping through the pages, looking at all the different photos. But obviously I know you have a lot to do with the selection of those photos along with Barry, but if you could kind of just talk to that, interested to kind of hear how you made those selections. So it, Barry just got such great stuff. The fall league, first off, the stadiums are, they kind of have like a little rusty quality to them. I don't mean yeah, rustic, I mean yeah. literally rusty. The colors are very often uh, rust. You know, it's made to look like the desert atmosphere in a sense, and it always looks so good in pictures. 
obviously now he has that you know silly mustache which is great but he he has an old timey look to him but again i need to point out here he wasn't playing and he wasn't a serious injury by any means but there he was shut down for a few days but we just said to him kind of like hey what are the chances we can get you you know in your equipment whatever can you bring even though you're not playing this game can you bring your stuff and he was like oh yeah sure no problem and he brought his home jersey for us too so we could get some shots in that just all kinds of stuff that again usually you're dealing with 17 different handlers, you know, whether they're with the team or with the, the player to, to make this stuff work. Whereas with him, he was just, yeah, he was texting us photos every night, all, all these things. He couldn't have been more easy to deal with. But to your point out, we're super lucky because between Ariel Goldman hacked and between Barry Schneiderman, we have excellent photographers who also are really, really good at developing good relationships with these players quickly and getting them to kind of work with them. So Barry was able to get all kinds of stuff with Austin that I think came through on those pages. Funny story though, when we changed our flights, so we could be there for that last day. We, we went from like a 11 a.m. flight to suddenly we were taking a red eye back. So we covered this last game and we're trying to figure out what we're going to do afterwards. So before the game, we're talking and we had settled on that we were going to go to Top Golf afterwards. Just, you know, it's, a, it's November. Let's be outside. Let's have fun. Now I'm sitting watching this game in the press box, but I can tell obviously it's Arizona. It's Arizona in November, but this was a Arizona summer day. I mean, Barry was melting, literally melting. And the game ends. I, I've brought her like three waters or something like that at different times. She's come up for more waters. Game ends. And we just both looked at each other. And like the idea of going and doing something both outside and physical was not possible. So we actually just, you know, went to a movie theater. We saw the James Bond movie. It was my first movie I'd seen since the pandemic began. But literally, it was just, what can we do? We don't have a hotel room anymore, or hotel rooms, I should say. What can we do that is indoors and air-conditioned? And it was like, let's just go see a movie. If it had been a double feature, we would have gladly sat for both of them because it was just anything air-conditioned at that point. I thought Barry was going to like shoot me for having made her uh, work this game in this heat um, and then get on a red-eye flight back that night. So when you see these photos, know that she was doing them under extremely, extremely hot conditions. Well, she did a great job and, and you did as well. It's really a great story, great layout. It makes me very excited for, for his you know future, a guy who hopefully will be here a long time and, and we'll have a lot more opportunities to write great stories about. For sure. He is, again, one of the most polished prospects that, I, that I've been around in a long time. And I really mean, like, he just, you talk to him and I, I hate to say like he gets it because they all get it, but he's he's just a guy who understands exactly what is being asked of him, you know, what he's supposed to do in any given situation and, and, and how to do it the best way possible. And look, I look forward to writing about him when I've actually seen him on the field playing a game. Um, I, I was able to write 3000 words without having seen it. So who knows what I could do when I, when I do see it, but, but he, he was a joy to write about and I, I'm very excited to watch him develop, but you know, Al, we're, we do this stuff, we're talking about stories that we've already written, but you know, this is also the time of year where we're working on stories too, because every night we got a baseball game. So, so it's, it's great to talk about the stories we've already done, but it's also great to know that there are stories happening for us every night now. Absolutely. And uh, looking forward to many more issues ahead of us this year and many great stories. For sure. So thank you so much, Al. And to all of you, thanks for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. We are so excited to be in our sixth season of the show. And we have a lot of fun stuff planned for this coming year. So be with us if you're not subscribed. I really don't know what you're waiting for. Uh, you should know by this point, we're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or yankees.com slash podcasts. Please leave us a review and a rating. Tell us you love us. If you don't love us, 
instead of leaving us a review and a rating, maybe just email us podcastyankees.com and tell us why you don't love us. So maybe we can fix it or we can just have you on an episode so you can talk about it. We are excited to say that we've launched a Facebook page to go along with our Twitter page. Those are the best places to stay up to date with everything we are doing at Yankees Magazine. On Facebook, you can search for Yankees Magazine. On Twitter, we are at Yanks Magazine. So go there and you never know. Sometimes we run offers. Sometimes we have special questions that we're asking where you can give feedback and things like that. So we would love to hear from you. Yankees Magazine subscribers, you should be getting your April issue soon if you haven't already. And we have a lot more to come this year. If you're not a subscriber yet, there's no better time. Call 800-GO-YANKS or visit yankees.com slash publications. And finally, all of our long-form content goes online at yankees.com slash magazine, including the two stories we talked about today. So make sure you check that out so you can read everything that we're doing all year long. That's it. See you next time and go Yanks. Hey, this is Giancarlo Stan. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much and go Yankees.